I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When I did actually have that near-death experience, I think that woke me up to a lot of like, oh, well, this has happened for a reason. I really have to try and help other people. So that's, yeah, hopefully what I do through the radio and through my new Facebook page and stuff like that. In today's society, we often try to ignore and hide unpleasant and difficult situations. We want to come across as fine to the rest of the world, but it can be a dangerous and isolating cycle, which is why my guest this week is extra special. Mariva Pierce had an idyllic childhood. She spent a number of her early years sailing the high seas with her family. Eventually, they settled in this remote paradise which is northeast Arnhem Land. But as life often pans out, things can get tricky and she was faced with a number of significant hurdles. Luckily for her resilience and with the support from her family, Mariva confronted these hurdles head on and continues to do so. Something that I really admire about Mariva is that she chooses to see the positive. Not only has she become stronger, Her experiences inspired her to speak up about mental health publicly. She's established a support group on Facebook and recently started her very own radio show right here on GovFM. Mariva is just so passionate about helping people. It was an absolute honour to sit down with her for a chat. So sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode of North East Arnhem Land with Mon. Now, just to get things rolling, a little bit of housekeeping. First up, thank you so much for clicking on this podcast. My name's Monica O'Hanlon, and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say. Everyone's got one. I work at Gove FM in northeast Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Yungle people are the traditional owners of this region. Their vibrant culture dates back more than 50,000 years. The hub where I live is called Nullumboy, a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? I've met so many weird and wonderful people whether they're from here or just passing through, I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. So you were born in Maryborough, all right. How old were you when you came up to Gove? Um, The first time we sailed up here, um, I was... It was... mm, it was in 1983, so I was only three years old. Yeah, I don't really know the story of why we left again, but we left. And then um, Dad came back in, then we came back in 1989. Okay. And then stayed. 
And you sailed up it both times? Yeah, so Dad built yachts for a living. He's a boilermaker by trade. So he built, I think he built up to 38 yachts in his time. Oh, my God. So the one that we sailed here on, um, he built that um, in Maryborough. And then, yeah, we sailed from there. Not directly from there, I don't think, the first time because we, my sister was born in New Zealand and we sailed there. And we went to school there for a little while because my brother and I were homeschooled oh. on the boat. And then um, we sailed, once Molina was born, we sailed from New Zealand over to Tahiti, which was like a 19-day sail. Wow. Um, yeah, to go see, show the baby to mum's parents <laughs> and stuff. And then we came back and ended up coming up here. The idea was to keep going around to the west but we didn't make it <laughs> still haven't made much of the west i've been there like a few times but <laughs> the goal is to go around there what was it like like do you remember growing up on the boat like that's pretty cool yeah it was pretty it was a pretty stress-free lifestyle like you know in the morning you'd wake up and there'd be flying fish that would have sailed into the sails overnight so you'd pick them up off the boat and they were like the you know the lego <laughs> of the yacht life <laughs> And then, you know, you'd have nights where you'd be sitting up on the back deck and Dad would be steering and you'd see whales, like, following you all the way, you know, for ages and ages, for days on end. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's incredible. Mm. And so you have... Do you have three other siblings? Yeah, so Jim's the eldest, uh, then myself, then my sister Melina and then John. Ah. Yeah, so. Well. And you all lived happy family on a boat. <laughs> well, jo- Jim and I probably spent the most time on the boat. And then when we got to Gove, we set up on land <laughs> when we were about um, 12. When I was just, so that would have been 92. And then, um, yeah, and that was out at Catalina, which is still there now. And mum and dad have retired now and they live out there. So, um, and John lives there. So, yeah, it was um, mo- like a lot of Jim and I's. Um, childhood was on the boat yeah and so when you came back the second time and kind of settled here uh what what was that like what were your kind of um yeah it was a bit of an eye-opener I think like I am known amongst my friends for swearing like (laughs) a swear and like before and I remember getting belted by mum like not stop swearing but when we came ashore my vocabulary exploded because there was mum on the boat who was homeschooling us who couldn't speak English and or part English and then dad was full Aussie and then there was two little kids trying to learn to be homeschooled. So the language, you know, when we got ashore, we're like, whoa, that's like, like a big city and all these people use all this different language. It wasn't hard to pick up. But, um, yeah, we lived out at Catalina. It was good. Like, it was close to Ski Beach. We got on with all the local kids really well. A lot of them are still here now, obviously. And, yeah, so it was good. It's a pretty yeah. idyllic setting for some kids growing up. Yeah, it was nice out there. We used to catch the bus to the yacht club, which is now the boat club. And there was about 20 kids out there, 20 families on boats. So it was really packed. Now I don't think there's that many. There's probably, you know, the odd sailor that comes in. But I think most of the kids are in town. It's sort of changed a lot since we were kids, I guess. But that was our playground for a lot of years. Yeah, I remember Monkey Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Sandra Stewart, she comes back. She's um, his eldest daughter. She or the only daughter, I think. She's in Darwin now, but she's come back a few times. She loves. She'd love to move back. She says all the time. Yeah, (laughs) it's just such a great place to for kids to grow up. I suppose. Absolutely. To an age. 
Do you have any uh, particular memories that stand out from growing oh, up up here? Oh, dear. There's lots of different memories, I think. Um, oh, there's lots of naughty ones. Like, <laughs> there's lots of Tell growing, me. <laughs> growing up at the yacht club and oh, being tormented by Monkey Bill's kids, Will Stewart. A lot of people will <laughs> know Will. And he'd probably still torment me to this day. But <laughs> I was telling my own son, who's now 15, we got off the bus one day and he'd been just harassing me on the bus and trying to get a rise out of me. And I chased him off the bus and he was looking back at me as he was running and he smack bang straight into one of the steel poles out there at the yacht club. And he's, then he's trying to say that I like pushed him into the pole and I was doing this and everyone saw that he was just, and everyone was like, oh, you deserve that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he remembers that or not. <laughs> but there's lots of good memories, that, like just the freedom of going out camping with, it's funny now that you go camping, you take your swag or your rooftop camper or someone's got a, you know, really decked out camper trailer. We used to have like a, tarp that we would go dad would take it out camping and we would all lay on the tarp and that was the bed for the night um and if it rained well you'd put the tarp up and that was the shelter for the night <laughs> so it was pretty rough camping and i remember driving to cape artem and the road was just really really bad um in the back of the ute because that was legal back then so that was always fun but um yeah there's, there's lots of good memories here yeah nice mm-hmm. so you did all your schooling in Nolanboy, hey? Yeah, so um, homeschool was until we were 12 on the boat. Uh, on the boat, And then, so that was year, I don't know. We started here in year five, so I think that's 10. So we might have gone back a couple of years mm-hmm. to get ahead. But yeah, so we spent, I've enrolled, I think, in year five at primary school and then went to high school here. So yeah. Yes. Everybody else that was here. <laughs> And then you you had kitties pretty young, hey? Yeah, so I was a mum at 16. So that was, you know, that was interesting, obviously. Now they're all grown up. They're like really old now and I feel really old. But um, that was hard work. um, As a a lot of people sort of said to me, like I worked with um, a lot of older people in the government when I had the kids and they're like, oh, how are you going with it all? And I never really, I had a lot of support. Like mum had the kids a lot of the time if I needed her to. Um, they were in daycare. I, I was on my own shortly after I had the kids. So I just sort of did it. Just, yeah. you know, just had to. Was there a moment like when you found out, was there like a freak out moment or did you kind of just cruise with it and be like, oh, um, yeah. It was more when I had to tell my parents, like, or tell my mum, like, because my mum and I, we had a bit of conflicting relationship. <laughs> I think that's pretty... <laughs> At 16, I think every girl probably mm-hmm. has a conflicting relationship with her mother. Absolutely. But when I told her, she was just so like, oh, well, you just got to look after yourself. That's what she said. Not this where you saw on Jurassic, uh, well, not Jurassic, Degrassi High at the time where your mother kicks you out and it's all dramatic. It was just like really cruisy and like... Oh, well, you've got to just look after yourself. And I was like, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was easy in that regard. And there wasn't really, even when I had Sinead, I didn't freak out. Like it wasn't, um, there was a lot of books and, you know, videos. Where we were sitting in sex and watching, you know, these women give birth. And it was like pretty daunting <laughs> stuff. But I just, yeah, I didn't really freak out. I don't really freak out about a lot of things. So... Yeah, you're pretty crazy. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, it's done now. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a great attitude to have. Yeah. 
especially in that type of situation. What do you do? Absolutely. <laughs> you had your first daughter at 16. Yep. And then how how close was your second daughter? Um, Latrice was a year and nine, no, a year and a month, so 13 months apart. Wow, so, so pretty close. So close. So I didn't learn the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Always learn the hard way. Um, so, yeah, so they came along and they were great babies. Like they never really gave me much grief. Um, they always played really happily together. They're like best mates really. So it Amazing. sort of got easy. And any mum that you sort of talk to now, because I never went to, because a lot of women that were having babies at that time were obviously a lot older than 17. So they were all going to the mum's groups and things like that. And I just, that just wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, having the two so young but close together was actually a good thing. They, yeah, played well together. So it was, yeah. Yeah, nice. They still do, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And so did you end up finishing high school here? I went back to do year 11 exams and I failed. So I really only did year 10. Mm -hmm. That's all I did. So, yeah. And did you start working or did you? Yeah, so when I was um, 17, I got my first job, which lasted about... Oh, nearly 10 years. Um, in It was at SIC back then, so that was Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Affairs. So I got a job there and just sort of moved around. And then I left um, in 2000, when the kids were two and three, I left um, and I actually got a job with the same organisation down in Brisbane. Um, so I think I actually worked for them for, yeah, from 17 till 23, so however long that is. But, um, yeah, so I worked for them for a long time. So I just worked, yeah, I did work a lot. What inspired the move to get out of here? Because you, you were moving away from your family, essentially. Right? Yeah, well, there was a lot of things. A few things back then happened, obviously having broken up with the father of my children and, you know, being a small town, all the drama that goes with that when you're a teenager, I guess, and I just wanted to change. I didn't want... And I guess probably part of me looking back, the gypsy in me being brought up on the boat, I didn't want to stay in the same place forever. I was like, oh, I don't want to stay here. Mm. You know, there's more out there. And moving to Brisbane was sort of close to where I'd been born. So I thought and there was a few friends down there. Um, so, yeah, I sort of just moved. I thought, why not? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to change and the girls were only little. So I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go. So Why not? Hmm. Yeah. And how is Brisbane comparing it? Because you spent so much time yeah. well, on a boat and then in remote Arnhem Land then the big smoke, like proper big smoke. Yeah, it was, it was hectic like because I didn't have a car at the time and like in, you know, winter it was you left home when it was dark, you got home when it was dark. Like it was quite, it was a lonely life. Like it was, you know, I had to run, literally run to the train station to catch the train, like with all, like 50,000 million other people. Um, and I remember getting my the train to work the first day because I was so excited. And I thought, oh, this is great, you know, the kids are in daycare, da, 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 da. I ran down to the train station. Anyway, I get on the train and there's like so many other people, shoulder to shoulder. And um, I'm like, I said to someone, oh, hi, how are you going? And they just looked at me and turned turned their back and went and sat down at the furthest seat, like I had two heads or something. <laughs> because then I learnt for seven years commuting on that same rail line that people just don't talk to each other. And that was the big smoke that people, whereas coming from a small town, yeah, everyone 
like, hey, how are you going, Marie? By your first name, or it just wasn't like that. That just was not at all. Like that would that. have been a big shock. Yeah, definitely. It was huge. And you even look at people, people like, oh, they don't have the time. They're just on a yeah. mission. They need to get somewhere and they're time poor. So um, that became me. That was. It was like you're moulded into that. You turned into yeah, one of those yeah, commuters. Yeah. There used to be a guy that could catch the train. 7.30, he'd wear the same pressed shirt, the same pressed pants. They were olive green, brown shoes, <laughs> like this stripy pinstripe shirt. And I was like, I don't want to be the 7.30 guy. Like I always used to catch the train at different times just so I didn't see him all the time <laughs> because I was like, oh, man, that's going to be me. And I think one day I just went into work and I just quit because uh, no one in the public service gets a promotion unless someone dies um, so you've really got to you know make sure that you really want to be there and yeah it's great super and great conditions and but it sort of did my head in so I just went in and quit one day and yeah it was good then I came back up and then it, yeah then I went back down and then yeah so. <laughs> you had another kid yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah I did have, had Covey because I went to Brisbane basically Got married, bought a house, had a kid, got divorced, came home. <laughs> so did the full, did a full circle. That's right. Good life lesson. <laughs> they don't teach that in schools these days. <laughs> oh, dear. I first heard about you because yeah. you're a bit of an advocate for mental health, right? Yeah. And mental health awareness, really. Yeah. And so where did that stem from? Um, so that... Yeah, that stemmed from probably a while, uh, a few years back, I guess. I think it was 2004. Um, I first become diagnosed with bipolar. Um, and really just my journey through that. So trying to obviously manage that because I've probably had it all my life. I just have managed it in different ways, being busy in a city, just having to survive, like ignoring all the signs that you may have had, that I may have had. Um, so I really just sort of winged my whole entire life. And then when I got to a place back with support again and I could relax, I was like, then it hit me and I was like, oh, something's not right. Something's, you know, something's mm. going on here. So I think I had a difficult journey through it in terms of, not um, not knowing, not recognising the signs, not having support um, and all that. So I, I wanted to be a bit of an advocate, I suppose, to try and help people ease through that and just say that that actually does happen. Like if people are saying, oh, you're experiencing it, you're not weird or, you know, yeah. something's not, you know, you're not abnormal, um, just work through it. And this is the sort of things that I did to help myself through that part of my life, I suppose, and still do, obviously. Because um, you were um, misdiagnosed, weren't you, in the beginning? Yeah. So in the beginning, I had been diagnosed with um, pre, um, what is it called? Um, they thought I had menopause like early, which wasn't the case. So they gave me something for that. And then they thought, then I did actually have Barma Forest, which was a Ross River. So that was like a fever type aches and pains and stuff like that. So they thought, then they said I had anxiety and clinical depression, but they never picked up the, um, the bipolar until sort of two years ago. Wow. Um, so yeah, so they gave me all different, um, medications for the misdiagnosis and then that caused me to almost die. Um, yeah, so that was a wake up call. When I did actually, um, 
have that near-death experience, I think that woke me up to a lot of like, oh, well, this has happened for a reason. I really have to try and help other people. So that's, yeah, hopefully what I do through the radio and through my new Facebook page and stuff like that, talking about mental health, um, just trying to get people's, you know, awareness up. And it can come in all different forms, like person A, person B and person C can all have the same thing, but represent, uh, present different, um, you know, or different um, symptoms. symptoms of it. So it's hard to, the doctors do have a hard job in trying to, you know, as much as I was angry at them at the time. Um, <laughs> it is such a hard... personal journey. Though, yeah, 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 they do. And even the people that I've started to gravitate towards now, they have a journey and I'm just like, wow, that situation, I would never have thought that, you know, that could you could come out okay out of something like that. Or um, So it's actually brought a different group of people that I don't wouldn't normally socialize but I like learning and that's the mental health awareness is definitely um you know all the different types of things um that come with that so yeah did you always think that you had been misdiagnosed like was there something in you that was like no this doesn't quite feel right um I didn't really know that I wasn't misdiagnosed until after my like I collapsed and almost died so they care flighted me to Darwin and then they basically like started with a clean slate, stopped giving me everything and then started from the top to the bottom and, you know, gave me whatever, any whatever. They tried to give me antidepressants, but antidepressants don't, un, you're not supposed to give a person with bipolar that. I don't know the technical reason why, but mm. um, it doesn't agree with you, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I didn't, there wasn't a point where I thought, Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Oh, like, did you have a gut feeling that you weren't misdiagnosed, that you were misdiagnosed? Yeah, well, when, see, when you're depressed, like, you're just low and you're just depressed and you're lethargic and all of this sort of stuff. And when, and you get that in bipolar, but the opposite end of bipolar is the manic highs and it's like, life's great. And, oh, my God. And, you know, what is everyone whinging about? What are they talking about? I'm sick. Like, nothing's <laughs> wrong with me. Like, this is great. I'm having a great time. Um, so I didn't really know the because I've had manic highs twice that now I recognize so now I understand when people say that you're sick or what's you know what's happening to you and the 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 thing that you hate most being or what I hate most being bipolar and someone says you're sick Mm. is because it's so good when you're high that you're like what do you mean I'm sick something's wrong with you not with me and you get very defensive over it so it's very hard for doctors to approach you but now that I've had two highs there they're probably more dangerous than the lows, to be honest, because the lows you're just really like just under the radar and just really, you know, out there. Mm. But it is frustrating having the bipolar diagnosis because when you tell people about it and say you're having a really happy day, 
Like, oh, I think she's, you know, a bit, and it does get frustrated where you feel like you have to actually hide your personality a bit because it's yeah. hard to, for people on the outside to know if she's just happy or if she going manic, you know. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a... Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting one too because I feel like a lot of people don't quite understand it because I like I, I know people that have it, yeah. but I don't understand the full. Yeah, so I've read a fair bit about it and Doctor Googled myself till you know the. Sun <laughs> it's always a bit dangerous, hey. And you're I like, don't what too. The hell? <laughs> but it's for me. I think the easiest way to explain it to people and education, I think, is the key for any anything you're learning. You want to know why, and yeah. once you get explained why, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, for me, it's probably, um, so it's a mood disorder. So basically your brain, um, can travel on a flat line for, uh, oh, for years on end and nothing. And then something triggers. So I might have, so mine is an emotional trigger to do with my kids or my ex-husband that gives me a hard time or whatever. And then I start to like develop this like really big defense mechanism and then it's it's a it's all drawn from that for me um sometimes people can be in an environment that might trigger it um or something like that but it's just to do with your brain really and your brain chemicals like if they're not on in on a flat line then you're going to be either up or down so um and there's a there's a safe like sort of uh zone where you can be a little bit high and not be manic um but it's I guess that's why you go to the doctors all the time. Like I go once a month mm-hmm. and get my bloods taken once a month so they can tell the lithium, the medication they give me in my um, in my blood is at a therapeutic level. And as long as that's therapeutic, then I'm pretty good, even if I'm a little bit happier or I might be a bit down or whatever. So that's how they sort of gauge it, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's so great that you're, yeah, you're so on top of it. Like, you know, and you're aware. And like you've said on your radio show, yeah. you've um, spoken about the things that you do. What did you call it? You're like fishing therapy, friend yeah. therapy. <laughs> well, it's just to get your mind off things, you know, and the things that you like doing. Like at the moment, I'm doing a lot of Netflix therapy. I don't do a lot <laughs> the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, like getting out with your friends, doing the things you enjoy doing and getting joy from little things, not mm-hmm. just, um, you know, spending a whole heap of money or buying a new house or whatever it is. Um, but enjoying those little things to keep you sort of, you know, I spend a lot of time with my nephews, my brother's kids, just I just drop around and see them. They're always good therapy babies, you know. So, um, yeah, you just try and find what works for you, I guess. There's a lot of different therapies out there. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think there's a stigma, you know, we're trying to stop the stigma with mental health and with, you know, oh, if you say, oh, you see a therapist or whatever, then people just look at you and instantly judge you as like, oh, it's not like, oh, that's a great thing to do because mm. um, I like to talk and to write, so that's my thing. Um, and, you know, the stigma against going to see a counsellor or a therapist is like, negative usually you know so it's all those other therapies that you know go and have a beer with your mate therapy or a coffee with your girlfriend you know so all those things yeah try and keep you on track have you found having bipolar do you think it's harder or is it a different experience um for you because you live somewhere remote to someone who is living in a in a big city yeah i don't know um looking back on my life like they said, you know, you could have had this all your life because you can actually be manic for like several years without people picking it up. So um, when I look back on my life having to deal with 
like the three kids and a marriage that wasn't really that supportive and, you know, the city life, I really just ran on like, you know, at the moment, like if you saw me now to, I don't know, 15 years ago, I was like 30 kilos lighter. Like I just ran, like hardly had time to eat and it was all about the kids getting them to school and um, sports and things like that and just running on nervous energy all the time. But I never went to the doctors and I do remember coming down and crashing from those times as well, but I just didn't really, I just got up and kept going. Like I didn't really, yeah. And then when I came home and I could relax, that's when I actually, when I had not as much, um, not as many sort of, not impulses, but um, what do you call it? Like distractions in the city where you've got all these, you know, billboards in front of you, you've got signs, you've got things to do, you've got movies, theatres, all this. When I came back and just could like relax, I went into a deep depression um, and I had a massive breakdown. And then that's when all the, you know, doctors and diagnosis started and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I... I'm not sure of the, I've, here I find that there's lots of support. Like a lot of people say there's not, but I've found there is. Like I get annoyed sometimes when <laughs> the doctors drop around and I'm like, oh. Um, but they're just doing their job to check on you because obviously they don't want, you know, it to go to the next level of self-harm or anything like that. So, you know, it's a ser- it is serious. As much as I laugh about it, it is serious. Um and yeah, you've you really do have to look after yourself because if you don't have, if you think about it, if your brain's like if you break your arm or your leg, well, you can get that fixed. That's no problem. But when your brain's broken, and that's what I refer to it to as broken brain, um, it's really hard for people one to get diagnosed, two to get on the medication because it doesn't just it's not just like a painkiller shot and you can be back on on yeah. deck. So it's really. It's a difficult thing to sort of balance, I think, and maintain. And some people just function and they don't even know that they've got depression or anxiety. They just do whatever they do and they don't worry about it. Yeah. So I yeah. guess it's a spectrum too, right? People, mm. the severities. and Yeah, definitely. People have it at different levels. Um, and I think I th- lately, though, I have heard it be talked about, maybe because I'm more aware of it now myself, um, I have on the radio and on the news and stuff like that, mental health is being talked about more, which is good. Yeah. And I think for a small community, I think it's good too to talk about it because um, there's not really a support group or anything like that So at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Something that I really have um, – something that I really loved from one of your radio shows that you've done um, is that you look at it um, – in a positive light. So yep. you look at your bipolar in a positive and you've spoken about other things and you say that like if it wasn't for that, then I wouldn't have reached out to someone else. That, you mm. know, and you are you are getting the conversation going. Already you've just started your Facebook support group and it's already like it's already a lot of like mm. people are coming that maybe you didn't expect to join. Yeah, well, I didn't really know because we've been talking about since the radio and I like to plant the seed and then go, okay, well, what's the next step? So um, having made the Facebook page, um, which is basically called after the show as well, um, and having people be interactive in that group, I'm like, oh, is this what it's about? Is this what the group's about? <laughs> I'm just sitting down. It's like, who are you talking to? Because I don't, I've only just newly got back onto Facebook. So people are in my group talking. I think I have to like interject and talk about stuff. So, and some of them are from high school, some of them are just good friends, some of them I've just met. 
Um, and I think there's two people in there that I haven't met before. So um, it's good because people are sort of wanting, obviously gravitating towards that, which is good. So I've just got to work out um, how to sort of, and it, the idea was just to post the radio shows somewhere. So that's what it was. And then, um, cause a friend of mine was like, Oh, I missed your radio show. Can you post it? And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Or can you email it to me? And I was like, Oh yeah, I was going to start this group like I might just post it in there and she's like yeah that's a great idea I was like okay so I started doing that so um hopefully it'll grow like from that I'm hoping totally so, yeah. and I and I do want to put a positive because it can be because even when I find like I don't talk to my husband about every single thing that goes through your head so I'm just like I like to talk about and laugh about different things so you try and put you know crazy posts on there to uplift people because it's not it's a, trying to, you know, flip it on its head and be positive. And I do firmly believe that that people with a um, that have had to go through a mental illness of some sort or had, you know, um, things happen to them and it's caused them mental and emotional, you know, abuse or got them sick in some way, that I think if you've survived that, you're the you are the unique little bunch that can help other people get through that because a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but it's like you've got really something really special. Like if you could share that, and that's what I've got from a few ladies that have they've told me some stories and I'm just like blown away because they've got through it. I said, well, that's your, you're on the same path as me. Like you can help people with that. But some people aren't ready to share their story at all because it is quite an emotional, you know, hard to deal with. Totally. Um, to type of story. So um, I always, you know, I might use bits and pieces out of what we spoke about, but I always get permission off them and not to mention their names, but just say, oh, this is, you know, I've come aware of this has happened to somebody and um, what's people's thoughts or whatever. So because everyone always has, I think, you know, one of the ladies I talked to, um, she's had a lot to do with bullying and I just thought, even in this day and age, and with social media, it makes it so, oh. it makes it worse. Like it um, amplifies the actual situation. So for the teenagers, and you don't know how, like I didn't know how to deal with, could you imagine being a teenage mum? I could imagine like people, what they would have said about me when I was a teenage mum here in Gove. But imagine now with social media and if you got bullied and people were Aww. just oh it would just be horrific it would be horrible i'm so glad we didn't grow up when it, like facebook and instagram was huge because yeah I know. it's like next level like kids are cruel yeah kids are <laughs> kids are very cruel yeah um so yeah so i guess it's you know people like mental health people think depression and anxiety but say for example bullying or um you know, being mistreated, like if a child is, you know, if there's pedophilia or anything like that, um, it weighs on your mental health. So it's not that that is under the mental health banner, but that treatment as you get older or as, you know, at that moment weighs on your mental health. So it's got to, you've got to be able to talk about things to, you know, have a safe space to be able to talk otherwise. I think that for me, if I don't get to talk, I explode. That's my thing. Mm. Um, I think women, maybe that's a women's thing. <laughs> Not all women, but I think generally women yeah. are better at speaking about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I think if you get it out, that's – and that's why I was excited about the um, Facebook page because a couple of guys on there got it. And I was like, oh, great, yeah. you know, some guys talking about stuff. So – because um, it's not all about the women, you know, it's about 
And I think guys, and because I have a young son, I'd hope that he would have mates that he could talk to about things. I've got brothers and stuff like that as well, and obviously my husband. So that's important, I think, for the guys to be able to get out, get out and talk about stuff. Totally. Debrief mm. as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Um, two, this is like a two-part question, yeah. but um, I ask everyone that yeah. comes on, uh, what are your kind of hopes and dreams with the Facebook page and the radio show and the podcast? I'm hoping that is going to come out of that. Also, uh, on a personal level, what are your hopes and dreams for the future as well? Um, I don't really... I think about a lot of things a lot of the time, but I don't really verbalise a lot because I think people will be like, oh, she's manic again. Because I've got a lot of crazy ideas. So, um, But with the podcast, um, I'm hoping it reaches other people that might be going through a similar circumstance and need that bit of oh, you know, relief to go, there's someone else out there. So maybe they'll reach out and join the page. Um Maybe I can link the pay, the podcast to the page. I don't know. I'm totally. Not, like, yep. <laughs> not right up there with the whole tech thing. Um, but it's, as long as it helps someone, then I'm happy, you know, as long as, you know, because there's people, you know, out there that are just so, they don't have support. They are alone. They're not wanting to reach out and, um, you know, they're just sort of by themselves and hopefully they hear about it or they listen to it or something and they, you know, can be that step out of the hole, I call it, when you're in the hole, when you're down, when you're depressed. Mm. Um, when you're bipolar and you're manic, no one, you're like, yeah, I'm up here by myself, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when, um, so they're not going to reach out when they're high, but when they're d- down, that's definitely, you know, a, a way that hopefully this will, um, you know, the Facebook page, the radio station and the podcast will reach out to people. I would like to speak, eventually speak at um, schools and corporate speaking and stuff like that. That's what I would like to do. Um, I don't know how or when that'll happen, but I've got, through doing the radio station, I have a lot of material and stuff. So I guess I'm just collating that and just writing things, journaling, doing bits and pieces in hope that that will happen eventually. Because I like helping people. So if I can help someone in that sort of situation, then, you know, and not just mental health, like... You know, in life, just, uh, you know, teenage relationships, you know, things like that, like um, being a single parent in a small community, um, being a single parent in general, you know, um, and having to fight that, like, teenage mum stigma, like all of those things that young women and young men might go through, um, you know, raising kids and those friendship circles that you could probably avoid that probably, you know, in hindsight weren't great for your mental health. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you can help any, you know, any, um, a lot of financial stuff, you know, like um, people stress out about financial stuff and that weighs heavily on people's minds. It's like, it's not that important. Don't worry about it. Um, so being through, you know, a few different things in my life. So hopefully those life lessons that taught me would hopefully impact positively on other people, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, lastly, to anyone out there who is either potentially struggling from some kind of mental illness or maybe just having a difficult time yeah. or maybe they're already diagnosed, yeah. what advice do you have to them? Yeah, look, it's really tough and like I said, everyone's different and it's taken me, I think 2014, so what are we now? No. 
five. So five oh. years since I was diagnosed, had a near-death experience, all that sort of stuff. So all of that stuff has come in handy um, to try and work out who you are and what makes you tick and what is you know a positive thing for you to have in your life, whether it's going somewhere with your mates or having a chat with your parents or support groups. So just try and reach out to people. I know that's tough and I know that it's like cliche about, you know, just check on your neighbour or whatever. But And people don't like asking for help. I hate asking for help. Mm. So I know that when, especially if a potential um, male or a really independent female is out there struggling, they don't want to ask for help. And a lot of times people are very busy. Like, well, they seem to be busy and they don't, you have to really tell them what's going on with you and you have to be vulnerable, unfortunately, to get that help. But otherwise, if you go to Top End Mental Health here, um, the guys, the team there is great. Um, also, you've got Caroline Elliott, who's got her wellness and counselling um, business and also um, Michelle Grant, which is, you know, um, outlook, yeah, outlook psychology. So you know there are a few places you can reach out, and and then you've got all your national numbers, all your Lifeline, your Black Dog Institute, all that sort of stuff uh, beyond blue. So um, don't don't think that you're alone because you're not, and there is other services that can help um, and other people. So yeah. For anyone wanting to join your Facebook page, yep. what what's the information? Um, so it's just, yeah, on log into Facebook, I guess. And, um, it's mental health awareness with Mariva. That's the group. Um, and you just log in and start chatting and, or just view the stuff if you want to, or reach out and just message me, private message me is all good. Um, yeah, so it's just on Facebook and, um, when I'm a regular on the radio, then I'll post the times that I'm, you know, on the radio as well. So, yeah, which will be once a week at this stage. So, And also, fingers crossed, a podcast not too far away as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Mariva, you are just an absolute superstar. Uh, honestly, what you're doing is awesome. It is so important. It, it needs to happen. You've been through so much and you've come out and, look, you're stronger for it. Now, I have total admiration for you. Thank you for what you're doing for the community. I think it's absolutely amazing. And thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. (laughs) That was episode 24 of the podcast. And every week I say the same thing. Time flies when you're having fun. It has been an absolute joy so far. There will be more episodes coming shortly, however... My partner and I are actually moving interstate, so there will be a short break while we find our feet over there. Thank you for all the feedback so far, and please feel free to get in touch if you have any questions or suggestions. I'm totally open for it. Massive, massive shout-out to GovFM. It has been an absolute honour to work here. Best community radio station ever. And, of course, I need to thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for supporting this project. It really does mean the world. You guys are awesome. Now, I hope you have a fabulous couple of weeks. Remember, this is a see you later, not a goodbye. My name's Monica O'Hanlon. And that was Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 